You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 9. We are in 6, sign of 7 of John's Gospel, the seven signs in the Gospel of John. John chapter 9. Two weeks today is Christmas, just in case you weren't aware. All right? Hard to believe. Excited for the ministry we have from now until then. Excited for our passage today as well. I want to begin with a bit of a biographical testimony to start our sermon today. It was March 21st, 1748. March 21st, 1748, John Newton, a vile sea crew member, was at sea. And interestingly, a violent storm hit their ship as they were sailing on the North Atlantic. He awoke that night suddenly, obviously in a bit of a panic, as his cabin began to fill with water. Imagine that. He immediately ran for the deck. The captain met him and told him to go back down and fetch a knife. Um, There's another man that immediately replaced Newton. As soon as that other man went up on the deck, he was washed overboard out to sea, never to be seen again. It was here for the first time in his life that Newton, in his dark, wicked heart, began to actually cry out for the mercy of God. This would be the beginning of God's amazing grace on the self-declared worst of all blasphemers. His life before Jesus was one of utter evil and depraved blindness. His eyes were so darkened to any true light. By then, by God's grace, Newton was met with the gospel and he would be forever transformed and granted true eternal vision. This would lead him to leave the despised slave ship And he would eventually be called into, of all things, the pastoral ministry. And it was in response to a New Year's sermon that he was preaching on 1 Chronicles 17 from the text, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? In response to this sermon he was preaching, he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, which has become, of course, the most famous English hymn in the history of the world. The words that you know already, I'll put them on the screen anyways for you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You can see how Newton meant this so much. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And then this phrase here, I wanted you to see it, because this phrase is taken directly from John 9 in our text today. I was blind, but now I see. Straight from John 9. John Newton was blinded by sin, but he would be met by the grace of of Jesus Christ, and he would be able to see the light. Again, interesting, a violent storm at sea that was eventually used to cause him to see. And the vision that he had would change him forever. And this is the point. This is the thesis. This is the big idea of today. True vision leads to true life. But you need true vision to see true life. Another way you can put it, to truly see is to truly live. And the person who can truly see and truly live then says, I once was blind, but now I see. This takes us to John chapter 9. Let's start. We're going to, Lord willing, get through the entire chapter today because it's almost impossible to not go through the whole chapter. It's one collected story. John 9. Let's start with the first five verses, though. John 9 verse 1. Oh, Lord, teach us, Holy Spirit, lead us today so powerfully, I pray. As he, verse 1, as he, Jesus, as Jesus passed by, 
he saw a man, notice, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, this entire chapter is about vision. There are so many references to sight, blindness, vision, seeing. In this entire chapter is about vision. We're going to see true vision. We're going to see false vision. We're going to see blind vision. We're going to see, again, impaired vision. We're going to see healed vision. But let's start here today. Point number one, again, in our text is this. Corrected vision, light. Corrected vision, leading to light. If you see in verse 1 here, Jesus passes by a blind man from birth. And the text tells us in verse 1 that Jesus looks at him. Now, this was more than a passing glance. It must have been, again, a gaze. There must have been something very evident as to the way Jesus looked at this man born blind, again, uh, from birth. Because in verse 2, we see, in verse 2, it says here, that his disciples pick up on the fact that Jesus is looking at this man intently and they ask him a question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's good to know that it was common within Jewish understanding to associate such limitations such as blindness as to the cause of individual or, again, hereditary sin located, let's say, within a family, as in with this case here. You will notice here, though, that even to the point that there's a suggestion of sin in the womb, right? Because if a man is born blind, and you're somehow saying, hey, Rabbi, is this blindness caused by this man's sin? Then it must have been sin before he was born. So therefore, in the womb, even suggesting that crazy notion to the point that somehow that could take place and then result in the blindness that this man found himself in. As was the case so often, the disciples had limited vision and incorrect vision. Jesus would use this opportunity to correct and renew their vision. Notice also, the disciples wanted to debate theology in a sense. They wanted some information. Hey, Jesus, here's this blind man. Tell us, what's the result of this? Jesus wasn't into information at this point. Jesus came to see transformation. The disciples wanted to debate theology. Jesus wanted to see lives change. The ultimate point of information resulting ultimately in transformation right here. What a lesson for the disciples. So this is why he says then in verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, we're all aware, or we must be aware, of the reality of the devastation from the the uh, entrance of sin into the world from Genesis chapter 3. With Genesis 3 and the sin that first hit this earth in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, uh, the fall and the curse of sin was absolutely devastating. Sin wrecks everything. Every single day we are confronted with sin around us, we are confronted with sin in us. Sin ruins everything. No one was more aware of the curse of sin than Jesus Christ. Jesus, the reason he was sent, he was born at Christmas to die. Jesus Christ, his purpose on earth was to die to defeat death. 
I think as John Owen, that wonderful title says, it was the death of death through the death of Christ. Jesus Christ was born to die that he might die for your sins and mine, ultimately to bring death to death. No one was more aware of the curse and the problem of sin than Jesus Christ. And yet, in this situation, he explains, it's not the man's sin or the parent's sin, even though sin is the cause of blindness and the groaning and the curse throughout this world and all the hurt and pain we see. But in reality, this moment here at this time, this was to result in God's glory, that the works of God might be seen and manifested through this man born blind. So as you enter into John chapter 9 here, it stretches my mind when you think this man blind from birth, chosen for this moment right here, before the foundation of the world. We know he was a beggar. How do we know? Verse 8. You can take a look. Verse 8 tells us that he was a beggar. He had known blindness his entire life, and now he is about to be changed forever by Jesus. Think about this. His life, although nameless, forever recorded in Scripture, his life remembered forever as miraculously being changed by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. His whole life being blind. You know, we love to remember and we love to celebrate. We love to worship celebrities. Uh, famous people, rich people, um, intellectual powerhouses, uh, political geniuses, or military people who had such great conquests. We love to remember, hold up, and exalt such people and literally worship them throughout our society. We do that all the time. And yet here's this man blind from birth, a beggar. And I thought about this week, it blessed me so much. And when he encountered Jesus Christ, although his entire life was in this state of need and many would pass by and just kind of deject him, the moment he meets Jesus Christ, he is miraculously healed and sees Christ as the Son of God. He would not trade his life for any other person in the world. Because the moment you meet Savior Jesus Christ, you are healed and you can see is the moment you've received anything you could ever want in this life with everything else put all together. Fame, power, intellect, riches, whatever it might be. Man, when you meet Christ, again, his life becomes one of the most important ones that lived because of the reality he was touched by the Savior of the world. Love that. And this is why Jesus came. This was the work, verse 4, notice, the work he was sent to do. While it is day, notice verse 4, while it is day, he must do the work. He came to be the fulfillment of the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. Notice also, he came as the light of the world, verse 5. Because the night is coming, look at verse 4, what does that mean, the night is coming? It means his death is approaching, so his light must shine while there's time to do so. So the disciples could see in part, but their vision had to keep being renewed. Notice this, the situation they deemed as sin, Jesus says, actually, this situation is going to result in my awesome glory. So number one, we see corrected vision, light, leads us to number two now, healed vision, glory. Healed vision, glory. Look at verse six now. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, strange, 
and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. All right, Jesus is awesome. Amen, church? I mean, Jesus is just awesome. And you live in the text. In Genesis chapter 2, man, I love this potential insight here. In Genesis chapter 2, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. So is it possible here that the reason that Jesus takes mud or dirt and with saliva and forms mud and places it on the eyes of this man born blind, is it possible that this is a connection of the creator of all things once again recreating from the mud, from the dust of the earth to see these man, this man's eyes regenerated uh, in this very moment? Is it possible? Is it possible he picks up dirt from the ground as he originally created man and he combines it with his saliva and the perfection of being fully God and fully man. He places on his eyes, he goes and is washed and comes back seeing again, performing the very work of the creator himself as he did from the beginning in Genesis chapter two. Is it possible when I think of these things, here's what happens to me. It's the only proper expression, it's this. It just, it just blows my, I've used this for a while, so it's about time. Right? You just think about this. You say, is this, is this what Jesus is doing? It's just so awesome. He is creator. And there's a new creation work. He is literally regenerating the eyes of this man in this moment. Glory to Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. He's giving sight to light. Right? This sign, as referred to in verse 16, this sign is pointing to such light and to such glory, right? This is why Christ came. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus picks up the scroll from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and he starts to read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to uh, set the captives free for the recovery of sight to the blind. He then puts the scroll back, sits down, and says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is our Savior. He has come to do signs such as causing people to see, to shine light on his glory, that he is the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah that has come again to ultimately provide vision of salvation to all who would believe. What further blows my mind in this text, you see the themes of light and darkness in verses 4 and 5. The themes of light and darkness, they point to the prophecy found in many places, one including Isaiah 8, verse 22 on the screen for you. And this is, this is Christmas prophecy leading into that. Look what it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, Sin, sin, sin. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. But this is where chapter 8 ends in Isaiah, leading directly into chapter 9 of Isaiah, which is absolutely pure Christmas prophecy. Isaiah 9, verse 2 on the screen. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Oh, we love this passage so much. For those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone and the light is Jesus Christ. This is the light of the world who's come into the world. This is why we celebrate Christmas. 
Jesus Christ, verse five, is the light of the world, right? This is why in John one, it says, the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is why Simeon, haven't mentioned Simeon yet this December, I'm overdue, Simeon picks up baby Jesus a few weeks old. He says, now I can die because I've seen your salvation. And he goes on to say, holding God in his arms, I might add, this is light for revelation for the Gentiles. He's the light of the world and glory for your people, Israel. The profound understanding of the power of light at Christmas. You see, the physical sign of the man being healed is pointing to the spiritual sign resulting in the glory of God and this, that God's glory is in your midst. His name is Jesus Christ. So as we go through verses six and seven, I mean, just even at the end of verse seven there, it says, so he went and washed and came back seeing. And I go, oh, that's nice. He went and washed. No, 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 time out, time out. Let's live in the text for a second, okay? So let's just imagine you're that guy, okay? Blind from birth. And some guy, some man, man called Jesus, he refers to him as in a couple of verses, mud and saliva puts it on your eyes and you're kind of walking through and you're finding your way to the pool of asylum. You're like, this is strange, right? But he does it. He does it, and wouldn't you know it, it works. Like, it works. He washes, and for the first time in his life, he is able to register light. He is able to see. I mean, how would you react? You'd be like, hey, man, sweet, cool. No, no, you, you would be jumping up and down. I can see, I can see. I was blind, but I can see. Anyone, neighbors shaking and running to your parents. I mean, just exclaiming the commotion, the joy, the 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 just astounding part of this reality and this miracle. We all know this is the way that it would have happened. It's just, it's just incredible healed vision resulting in glory. But listen, not all would have such joy over this miracle. In fact, there's a whole group of people that would be pretty cranky about it. Point number three is this, blind vision, pride. The greatest factor of blind vision is the sin of pride. So I want you to look at verses 8 to 12 here. We're going to read a bunch of verses here because I think it just, just needs to, and it's so good here as well. So look at, look at verse 8 here. Let's, let's live in the text together. So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he. This is great. Others said, no, 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 but he is like him. That's amazing, eh? So, no, 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 it's not him. He just looks like the guy that used to be blind his whole life. But the guy says, he kept saying, no, no, I'm the man. Like, isn't that amazing? That's me, it's me. No, I'm the one. I'm the one who sat there at the gate begging blind from birth. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he now? He said, I don't know. I don't know. But I was blind, but now I see, right? Just, just what a scene this is. The blind man walks through the pool with mud on his eyes. And then inexplicably, it works. And then the community is rocked. I mean, the community just erupts with talk and just amazement. Wait a second, is this the guy? And again, in such disbelief in some cases that they say, no, it's not that guy, it's his twin we never knew about, right? It looks just like him, but it's not him. They're willing to believe that, but they're not willing to believe that he's actually been healed from his blindness. So now what happens in verse 13? The Pharisees get involved. 
because the Pharisees were the ones that were supposed to test such signs. And again, I want to read this in full because this is exciting. So verse 13, take a look here. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. That's not good for the Pharisees, is it? So the Pharisees again asked him how he he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Man, this poor guy, right? He's just been healed. He's been interrogated. And this time he says, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe he had been blind and he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore the parents said, he's of age, ask him. So the parents totally passed the buck, right, on their kid. Is that good parenting or bad parenting? I suggest bad parenting, right? A bit of cowardly here, cowards here, right? So for the second time, they called this man who'd been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Sorry if I'm talking super fast that you're trying to translate over there, eh? So bless your heart. So yeah. Verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Amen, church? That is so good, eh? Listen, listen, you interrogate me all you want, but here's the reality. I was blind, now I see. You gotta figure it out. I'm excited, praise the Lord, all right? They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. (laughs) It's like, how many times are you gonna ask me? I've told you, you would not listen. Why do you wanna hear it again? Oh, I love how the Lord uses this man who's been healed. Remember, he was uneducated. He would be dejected. He would be a nobody in the eyes of especially the Pharisees. He says this, do you want to also become his disciple sarcastically? Right? Ooh, they would not like that. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man, okay, okay, so here's, here's the best sermon of the day right here, starting in verse 30, okay? The man answered, why, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Awesome. Verse 34, not awesome. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Look at the pride dripping from this verse. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they excommunicated him. They cast him out. Notice the contrast of vision and blindness. This man could see and was starting to see spiritually. The Pharisees could not see why. They were blinded by a few things. They were blinded by religion. They were so fixated on their rules and their understanding of their man-made traditions and rules. They could not see past it. They were blinded by this. They were blinded by unbelief. They could not explain this event, therefore they did not believe this event. But finally, and worst of all, they were blinded by their pride. 
The facts were before them. They would not believe. They claimed to know everything. They claimed to see all things, yet they were blinded to that which matters most. It's interesting, the Pharisees were willing to believe the man had never been blind ever, as opposed to actually believing that he has been healed. And so what they have to do is they have to explain away the miracle. They have to pretend it never happened. Because if it did, then they have to start acknowledging some things that are seriously happening around them and their pride prevents them from doing so because it has to be about them and their understanding of the world around them. It's so tragic, it's so sad, it's so sinful. Just like our world is forced to explain away the miracle of birth, the miracle of creation, the miracle of the astounding precision of the laws of the universe. Just continuing to say it's just, it's just chance, it's just chance, it's all happened by chance, it's just a big accident. See, any unbeliever must explain away the very things that they're faced with on a, uh, any given day. We're forced to do this if we refuse to believe that there's a God. So I love nature shows. I've always loved nature shows. I love like BBC Earth and BBC Blue Pan and that kind of stuff and any really nature show, but BBC does a great job. You know, David Attenborough, that's his name, right? David Attenborough. And he has that voice that we all kind of know if you've seen these, these nature shows and you're seeing these incredible displays of creation. And he goes on and he's like, and 70 billion years ago, this was formed out of nothing, whatever. And he goes on to say this stuff. And then 65 million years, this fish developed into that. And I'm listening to kids, plug your ears, it's a lie. You know what I mean? Like, like it's not true. I'm like, come on, David, you know better than that. Look at what you're looking at. Like evidence after evidence and testimony after testimony. It's so clear. This is not by design is everywhere. Oh, David, if only you would see, you know, like open your eyes to see the reality of what what you're witnessing to and all the evidence that is before you is just so awesome. And a friend of mine at the last service came up to me and says, the new thing now among unbelievers in our day is actually suggesting that the whole world we live in and the universe is actually a simulation that's been created by some other beings of some other place. That's like legitimately being proposed now because as evolution starts to break down and these things don't start to make sense, you have to come up with another theory to explain how we got here. So now apparently people are actually trying to suggest and propose in all seriousness that this we're living in is a simulation being orchestrated by some other being somewhere else that we'll probably never ever find or see. Well, that's what you got to do if you're going to explain away the miracle of life that's around us on every single day basis. And if you say there is no God. Our world, eh? So smart, so blind. So confident, so confident, so blind. Our world, so proud, so proud, but so blind. Blinded by a form of ritualistic religion. Blinded by a confidence in self. Blinded by our own knowledge. Seeking to explain everything, everything around us. When I was in Romania, hard to believe, but a month ago now, goes by fast, I was in the third uh, floor of the hotel we're staying at. It was the top floor, and uh, Brela doesn't have a lot of tall buildings. You can see the entire kind of you know, cityscape and the skyline there of this town. And um, it was amazing to me that the most obvious buildings were the Orthodox churches and the domes that kind of sat above every other building. That's the most prominent features in Romania often, and certainly in, in, in Brela. 
And I sat there looking out across, and you could see these several churches that really defined this town from historical past. And my heart grieved because in so many cases, you have these edifices that are there, but in so few circumstances, there's actually true vision. There's, there's so much religion, but there's no life. There's no relationship. People are blinded by rules, and they've missed out on Christ himself. So much of that has, has I mean, Satan's so clever. And the way he can cause people to be led by so many rules and not see Jesus Christ. How about the knowledge that covers our greatest scientific institutions and our universities? So much knowledge, so little sight. So little sight. The supreme confidence that covers our media. Supreme confidence over our politics. And yet so blind in so many cases. Of course, the Bible predicts this all over the place. Psalm 10, verse 4 on the screen for you. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And again, the, the pride hits its climax, I think, in verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. The healed man, man, he just, he just, he just brought the wood. That's a term for he, he brought the thunder while preaching. He spoke with such clear truth and wisdom, but the pride of the Pharisees, they could not see. You were born in utter sin. You would teach us. See, see they, how dare you speak to us? How dare you suggest that we don't know? How dare you correct us? How dare you again propose again that somehow you know something we don't? And it's the pride that causes them not just to abuse this man now, but to utterly cancel him. Sound familiar? He's immediately canceled, excommunicated, because he dare suggest something other than what they would teach. They cast him out, verse 34. I thought it's not too dissimilar from Stephen with the religious leaders in Acts 7 when he has this vision of Christ and he speaks of Christ in front of them and they hate it so much. The Bible says they grind their teeth they plug their ears. You can read it. They stop their ears. They are filled with rage. They rush at him and stone him to death because they are so blind to the sin of themselves, they want to destroy or cast out anyone who disagrees with them. And this is in a form we're seeing in our text right here. They cancel this man. The pride of humanity that blinds us to life and carries us on to destruction. So we see corrected vision, light, healed vision, glory, blind vision from pride, and fourthly and finally, and encouraging here, eternal vision, faith. Eternal vision, faith. The Pharisees cast the man out. Here's how John Christensen puts it on the screen for you. I love this. He says this. He says, the Jews cast him out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. Love that. The Jews cast him out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. Look at verse um, 35 now. In verse 35 it says, As Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Footnote there. Some manuscripts say the Son of God. He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, just, just imagine all of this leading to this moment. He said, Lord, I believe. 
may the, may, the, may the Holy Spirit give eyes of vision, of true vision today, so others could join this man who was healed and say, Lord, I believe. Notice, and he worshiped him. You know, this is the only time in the Gospel of John is recorded someone worships Jesus. The only other exception could be Thomas when he feels the nails, the scars of the nails. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Warren Wiersbe points out a wonderful progression through this text of how this man saw Jesus. This is, this is so neat to me. In verse 11, he refers to the man called Jesus. By the time he gets to verse 33, he's like, this man came from God. He was of God. He could not, this could not do this if he was not of God. And then finally we see in verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe he worships him. So he affirms and declares that he is the son of God. Notice how this happens again through John 9, how Jesus is working in his life. Let me ask you this. Where are you on this progression? Many different people here today. Many different souls, many different situations. Where are you right? Some of you are here. And we're glad you're here with us right now. Some of you have heard about this man called Jesus. And that's who he is to you. He's, 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 he's this guy. And you've heard a bit about him. You're learning about him. Some of you are here. You're like, yeah, Jesus, because one of the other things the man says, well, geez, he's a prophet. Some of you might be here, you're like, this Jesus of Nazareth, I mean, he's, he's done some good stuff. He's a good moral teacher. He's a prophet. He was a man of God. A man come from God or a man of God. And many different people on this place. But, but here's where life changes. Here's the vision that changes you forever. When you go from here, here, and then to here, you see him as who he really is. The very son of God sent to come to die for you, to pay for your sins, to grant you eternal life that you might truly see and therefore truly live. This is when life changes. When Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of God? In the original, that is doubly emphatic, meaning Jesus is calling for a personal decision. He says to this man, do you believe in the Son of God? And he wants an answer. And Jesus says that to you today. Some here right now. Maybe for the first time, and I can't do anything, man. I cannot change one single person. The Holy Spirit does that. I just, Lord, I look to you. I rely on you. Here I am, so weak, so needy, so desperate, so dependent. Lord, just trying to be faithful to your word and just trying to exalt Jesus Christ and just want you to be loved and adored. And here we are with the gospel again today, Lord. So you, I just beg you, you would change hearts today. But Jesus asks you, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man or woman or child with eyes of faith, will look at Jesus right now and say, Lord, I believe. And when it's real, what happens? Worship. When it's real, worship happens. And that's what the man did because he knew he was in the presence of God himself and the one who would save him from his very sins. This is when faith brings eternal vision. He saw his sin. He saw the Savior. He saw salvation. Your turn today. Your turn. I pray today. I wonder who's here right now. Lord Jesus, open eyes. 
so interesting from this very, very powerful moment. I guess people were in the area, they were listening, they were watching, because look at verse 39, just quickly. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, notice, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Fascinating. What does that mean? Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. They suspected he was talking about them. And then they said to him, are we also then blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What's, what's happening here as John 9 comes to a close? We can summarize it this way. The final words of Jesus explain this. Those who admit they cannot see, those who admit they need a Savior, they admit they are broken, they receive sight. But those who insist that they see perfectly without Christ, those are the ones that confirm that they are blind. That's such an important sentence I want to put up on the screen for you as we end this message now. Let's put that up. It's this, okay? Here's the whole point of this chapter when Jesus summarizes. Those who admit they cannot see, they admit they need a Savior, they are given sight. Spiritual, eternal sight. But those who insist they do not need God, they do not need Christ, that they can see perfectly by themselves in their own self-righteousness, they confirm by doing so that they are blind without life and cannot truly see. This is why Jesus says the things that he says. And this is why the man at the end of the day, he says, and they're questioning him and they're interrogating, they're harassing him. He says, listen, whatever these other things I do not know, here's the one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace how sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. You can say whatever you want, but here's what I know. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see because Jesus Christ has set me free. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, take your word in John 9 today by your Holy Spirit, and I pray you would apply it as only you can. Save lives. We started this service by asking that you would save people, and I pray you are doing that today for your glory, for your glory. Please, oh God, open eyes of vision. Hey, are you here right now today? And your response, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? Then maybe for the first time, please, Lord, you will say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I'm done with self. I'm done with sin. I'm done with this world. Save me from death. Save me from hell. Save me from myself. Lord, I believe. May it be so, God. May it be so. Again, in this season, lead your church. Help us, Lord. Help us. Move in our midst. Holy Spirit, encourage and grant vision. In abundance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.